0: if you're thinking about contacting one of your politicians over the next fortnight forget it monday marks the start of what could be the longest debate in state's history and believe me that's saying something Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bridging Island Plan. We don't have much land here in Jersey, but how we use what we do have is decided by this document, but only for the next three years. With amendments and amendments to the amendments, there are 117 separate debates. Even the agenda for the next two weeks runs to, wait for it, a mind-scrambling 68 pages. This is a colossus of a state's meeting, a gargantuan word fest, which anywhere else could be seen as torture. In an entirely unscientific estimate, our politicians will utter the best part of a million words in the next two weeks. Nothing new there. And the man sitting at the heart of it all is currently sitting opposite me, James Filial, for the Politics Disassembled podcast. He's Environment Minister Deputy John Young. How did the plan progress to this point? Is it even fit for purpose? We'll also be talking about the hospital, OneGov and Deputy Young's final months as a politician. Deputy John Young, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, James. So, um, 117 potentially uh, debates in the next two weeks, a million words or whatever it turns out to be. That's just your introduction. Um, Is the process actually working, do you think? I mean, are you going to be able to process all of that information next week? It's a huge amount for states' members to get their heads around on what is a a defining debate. It's a crucial debate,
1: and it's one that it's my job to avoid that being the nightmare, as you've said. Uh, That means managing it. Um, what I've had to do uh, since the uh, the deadline for the amendments, states members amendments ended, is to go through all of them and take a position and I've advised states members which of those I can accept, which of those I can accept in part, which of those are an absolute no-no in my view and we should reject and also I have those that are amendable. I've amended them myself, and I, it is my hope and expectation that members will respect that because it's an unusual thing to do to let them know in advance. And be, a, I expect a lot of amendments will either uh, either be, be go through on the nod because I'm accepting it, uh, and there's no need for a debate. Uh, other members, uh, other amendments, uh, they accept my amendments and so on, and a lot of amendments will drop away. So I think at the moment, the list I saw today that was down to about eighty.
0: But come on, I mean, you're going to get four, five, six, seven days into this debate. Everyone's going to be tired. Everyone's going to be uh, fractious and difficult. Is there the chance that a really good decision isn't made or really bad decision is made purely because people have just had enough?
1: Well there's always that risk and it's my job to do to try and make that more I think interesting and you think my view is if we do get into heavy weather and I should be suggesting probably an adjournment, a short adjournment for members to give them a bit of a breather. I've also made it available, planning officers to be available outside the room the bailiffs given the commission so that members can go out and check some of the detail they want without you know holding up the flow and all that sort of thing. So there's lots of things that I've been able to do in preparation for it and you know um, to say, am I looking forward to it? It's going to be a big ask. Try and make
0: it less tortuous. Yeah. Um, well, look, let, let's step back slightly though into the process which has led up to this point because you know you, you're well aware there's been a lot of criticism of that. It's been a long process. It's been sites on, sites off. People are upset about sites. People upset sites were on there that aren't on there. That all of that debate in the last year or so. Do you think the process of getting to Monday when the debate starts has that process worked?
1: Well, I think there's been good and bad in it. Uh, first of all, we had to modify the process because of COVID, you know, because government was seriously disrupted and we can't we couldn't have meetings, we couldn't have consultation meetings, none of those things were possible. But anyway, but well, we had to produce the plan. So we modified it. Um, I think the good thing has been we've had huge degree of states members' engagement. Whereas in the past, I would say there was much more of a laissez-faire attitude and members didn't bother often until we got to the debate and then they suddenly woke up and uh, uh, now that's not been the case. Now, I think there are some uh, things that I'd want to change in the future, if I was staying. Uh, First of all, I would have liked... Having the first stage, we published the plan and we had to ask for states members' amendments concurrently. Uh, I would have liked at that stage, the first stage, I think we got about 60 amendments, to draw the line and say, right, I will now do the revisions to the draft plan and republish the plan and then re-put it out for public consultation. I think that would have seriously reduced uh, some of the number of issues. Um, But, of course, I had to have a process that allowed members to have their democratic
0: right to have final amendments at the end of the day but I set some rules but what's okay but but what's the point basically you've had a um, a long consultation period or you had a long consultation period that then finished there was then uh, the inspector's report then more amendments came through what was the point of the consultation originally
1: well, I think the consultation was very successful. I think we had huge number of responses. And, in fact, before, you know, just just on Clement, Clement Fields alone, there were 400 public representations to the inspectors on that matter. So, leading up to the inspector and the inspector's report, I think the process worked. What I think I have been surprised about, frankly, is the number of amendments that have come in uh, after the event. And frankly, look, I'm going to use this language, Well, I think many of them are what you might describe as, I believe, no-hopers. It's, but there again, that, that, that's their right, and they're entitled to have that state make that decision.
0: L- let me give you an example, because this all gets very, it gets difficult for people to understand. Right? There's so much information here, and we're talking about so many, you know, different things. Let me give an example. So there were three fields of uh, Montalabe, I think originally proposed, which aren't now being proposed for housing. They were in right at the beginning, so those residents had a long time to consider that and uh, mobilise themselves, get some opposition going if they didn't want them. All that stuff. They had a long time, at least a year, in fact, to get to that point. But then there are fields in St. Juan, which have come forward recently. Those local residents, they've only had a couple of months. And that that can't be right, that because of the process, you've got two very different timeframes for people to actually engage.
1: I think that's not quite right there. Um, firstly the, the the field the fields in St Ones which didn't feature in my plan A as it were they weren't in the plan nonetheless they were put forward as part of the public consultation by the owners. But and the they, parish, went, they were they were deep down there. And right? well they were there and the parish it was quite clear in the documentation that I published at that time uh, at April, I think it was August that the parish were pushing strongly for these fields to be regarded as a second reserve, so I asked the inspector to check that out. The inspector has come up with a report where i 've had to because we, we're losing some sites over here i 've had to put them forward as being um, being the the next the next tranche. But you've uh, con- and there has been there's been I mean we've seen representations and so there's no question we are we are getting very large numbers of them states members are
0: but these are, these aren't your words these are my words you, you've kind of got those out of your back pocket in a sense so members haven't really seen uh, uh, residents haven't really seen them until the last minute maybe they were in the documentation but apart from yourself and your officers and maybe a few states members no, no one reads into the detail of that documentation you need to be upfront about well, it. well they
1: were in the they were in the inquiry and there were lots of representations at the planning inquiry and so some of these fields which have come in at the very last um, landowners turned up at the inquiry and argued their case sadly very few states members turn up the inquiry to 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 uh, speak
0: uh, on those matters so but that's the reality but that's the point in itself though isn't it because essentially the process we've got landowners can come to the planning inspector right at the end almost the kind of 11th hour and make their case directly and that's avoided all of the process that's gone on before that.
1: Well, uh, not quite right, I think, because if, I think the, what we find is that there are, you know, quite a number of our community are very diligent at looking through the documentations and are not backwards of coming forward. But one of the things that I have noticed is that the way uh, rural parishes have approached this has been very different. In some parishes, the constables have made very, very good, strong efforts to work with their community and to see that what comes, what's come out of this machine, if you like, seems to have a high degree of parish support. In others, absolutely not. And we can see where that is. And so I, I think we've I've had to take the view, look, if if parishes are going to have to absorb some of our housing requirement, that's important because we want to give life to those communities that most of them date from the sixties and the seventies. We need to allow that. But we need to make sure that damage is minimized, if you like, in the right place. Now, constables have managed that. They've they they are party to the the process right from the start.
0: They are, but come come on a little bit here. I mean, we've got um, essentially what we've got is a process whereby, at any point in the last fourteen months, anyone seems to have been able to come up with a site, put it forward. We're now facing a debate on that. Well, where is due? No, process? no, that's not correct. Where is due process? No, no, I
1: need to correct you there, uh, James. The sites, all of the sites under consideration now. Were put forward in the call sites call for sites process, which was two years ago. But you, the you, cut off, the cut off for putting forward new sites was April at publication of the draft plan.
0: But let me put it to you though: unless one of those sites is specifically proposed, people are busy. They're not, going to, they're not going to engage with it unless it's, it's just an idea at that stage, isn't it?
1: Well, what, of course, what one had to do was to try and build the public awareness of the proposals, and that was done by planning officers visiting, published uh, parishes, having engagement. What I have been surprised at is that, only, in fact, no constables, as far as I know, have called parish meetings. Now, in the past, that's always happened. Now, you know, I think if we are going to engage, you know, with our communities, it's important that those processes at the local level go on. Uh, I think uh, it's an open, you know, I'm here, wait and see what the constables say, whether that worked or whether it didn't.
0: All right, well, let's um, let, since since you've raised it uh, obliquely, let's um, let's talk about one of those parishes specifically. There's been a lot of debate about the Grooville fields in recent weeks and uh, whether there so there are some development proposed there on uh, uh, by uh, Scott Wickenden which we understand is going to be withdrawn next week what's your view of how that's been handled
1: well uh, it's pretty far from ideal really Um, but I think people have done the right thing now in what they what they've said Um, I think you know the question arose I was asked at this point when the inspector's report came um what what can, what opportunity have we got to bring forward amendments and I pointed out the law if the inspector had reper- had dealt with that matter in his report then it could be subject to an amendment and if it had not been in the inspector's report it could not so this wasn't an open open door for everything it had to be in the inspector's report and in all those sites put forward at the eleventh hour as it were or five to midnight the inspector was clear no. No. Uh, there was slight reservation on one of them, which I have now indicated to, in, to the mem- state's members is a possible alternative, only one. The one, I'm sticking to the recommendation of the one that was in the draft plan, because the Jersey Farmers Union have said that they believe this is yeah, the least damaging uh, loss and so I think that's my position. I don't. I've lost count of how many other fields there are, but they're very clear. They are not recommended.
0: Okay, let's uh, let's take a, a bit of a step back on this though, because you, there's another way of looking at it, right? That essentially what the island the island plan is dealing with is the supply issue around housing, rather than the demand issue around housing. So we've got all of these amendments. We've had all of this process. We've got two weeks of debate. You know everything that we've we've been talking about on this podcast so far. But what we're not really doing is dealing with the demand for housing in Jersey. Now, you've been Environment Minister for years on the Council of Ministers. Do you agree with that statement?
1: Absolutely. Look, I stood for election last time that there had to be a population uh, control policy. We just could not carry on um, growing our population as we had. People have referred it as a Ponzi scheme. And I think that's, you know, that's probably pretty an accurate description. That what we needed to do, because we weren't prepared to change our tax rate, that we wanted, that we needed to bring in new workers... Uh, in order to get, generate more tax income. But, of course, what we were doing is clocking up long-term, uh, long-term needs for health, education, housing and the like. And if you get an imbalance of supply in that situation with hot demand, it's hardly surprising you end up where we are now. Now, what have I done? I was very disappointed when I got on to the Council of Ministers and the Council of Ministers decided, to, if you like, um, bomb out. the the proposals at that stage. I I never was content with that. But obviously, I had to go along with uh, an attempt to have a new one, and I was party to discussions. Um, Unfortunately, COVID hit us. Now, you know, I find it very, very difficult. In fact, I can't accept the situation where we've kicked it effectively into the long grass. Um, That's the reality, I'm afraid, James. Um, We don't have that policy. There has to be. As I've warned, I've told... I've told people, for example, there's no sites in St. Clement proposed now, but if we don't get a hold of population, those fields are gonna come back. All those ones are gonna come back every time. So that's the message to the new environment minister and the new council of ministers. This is top priority to deal with.
0: But to be to be fair, I think your council of ministers was told it was top priority. And you, you can understand people's frustrations. You can you can hear them listening to this and heads hitting the table because you know, you were a minister, a senior minister with responsibility, but you're still saying the problem isn't resolved. Oh, I am. Now, look, you have
1: to understand how the, you know, what the, what's it, being a min, as a minister is like, and I've referred to this other things. We don't have party politics. There's no clear... Uh, you get elected with a group of members that, you, that are right across a big range of political spectrum. It's a well known that whoever takes on the environment job has got a losing battle dealing with the economic pressures. The whole priority pressure, the whole lobbying, the whole island is finance Finance number one economy. Environment takes second place. I had to fight. The first thing I had to do was to fight to get environment up there as one of the five strategic priorities. The next thing I had to do was to fight to get in sufficient money to be able to do things to protect it and intervene it. But trying to get to a point where uh, trying to persuade my colleagues with my point of view was. Well, one failed. Now, what do you do? Do you resign? Do you walk away from it? Knowing, okay, how does that help? How does that help? If I was to have stood down when I came to that crunch, and of course, other ministers elected uh, four years ago have done that. Uh, One has to ask, how, you know, was that the right thing to do? For me, it wasn't. Hang in, you sign up for a job, complete it, what you can. But the system needs to improve.
0: I understand that. So let's look at that phrase: the system needs to improve. You said we don't have party politics. It, surely that's not your only answer to this party politics. <laughs> no,
1: it's not. And in fact, uh, I, I, what I think at the moment that we're seeing party politics is not looking too good. I've I've not uh, uh, signed myself up to a political party. I've decided to you know I, I perhaps I'm too independent minded. Um, <laughs> um, so, so that's not the answer I think uh, I think frankly the whole way I put forward to our new chief executive and I'm delighted now we've got a new chief executive uh, I've I lots of things to say on the old one um, uh, well I, I, I'm going to give you the chance <laughs> to do that in a second but, but for now keep going and I've made it quite plain look I, I think the council of ministers needs to be helped to become a more functional body And remove some, you know, our agendas at the moment, I don't believe, are uh, well managed. And what I would like to see is a a cabinet structure with different areas of business having real policy decisions. One gets very few chances, amazing, to talk policy.
0: Hang on a minute. Right. Uh, So uh, I've been commenting and reporting on politics for 25 years in Jersey. And throughout that period, all I've heard is the process is wrong. It's been going on for 25 years now Deputy Young.
1: Well look, let's let's face it. You spoke to Tracy. Tracy and I have a lot of common ground in this. If we if at the island was up for radical change of our government structure, I think going back to committees would give a much more effective um, arrangement whereby um, people, policy discussions can take, take place, a better consensus building among members, and a much you know a much more greater level of confidence in the public and the democratic system works. But of course. Uh, the upheaval, to go back to that, is just astronomical. And, of course, there are snags with it. You just have to look at Guernsey. Uh, I'm not being critical of our sister island. I love them to bits, and I love the members. But there are some things that they perhaps need to resolve there. But, you know, now that's a way. Now, what Tracy and I have tried to do, and I've supported her in this, is to try and improve the system through some structural changes to my, make it work better. And I've, that's why I've offered... The uh, states, my proposition, which I lodged uh, yesterday.
0: Okay, all right. Well, look. I mean, I'm going to put. um, I don't know if it's one word or two words to you. One gov, whatever that is. One gov. So, in terms of your department, success or failure? I don't have a department, and that's one of the things that
1: I absolutely railed about under the former chief executive. That I said, well, how are we going to deal with this now? And I got elected. I get elected with an environment department and then, oh, lo and behold, that's all done away with. And we've ended up with GHE and then IHE and then there's four ministers to work. And so I've been able to, I believe, I've been able to provide leadership for the officers in the part of the uh, machinery to b- deliver the functions that well, look, look, I needed to do. I've done that. Give,
0: let me give an example, because, again, it's hard for, for people to, to, to process some of this without a specific example. So on the hospital, so you've got uh, your chief officer as the applicant, you've got a department also as the regulator, and also as the policymaker, all on the same major development. How does that work?
1: It's not good. Uh, that is the worst. That is probably the best or the worst example of, if you, you like... Man. Where, where the structure is not right. And I have complained about it. And that's, you know, I've I've got to the point, which is I'm bringing a proposition, I'm not going to go out of office without bringing a proposition. uh, Because that would be, you know, I would have failed. So I've campaigned locally. I've been as open as you can. Every scrutiny meeting I speak, I speak about it in the States. I made it quite plain to the former chief executive that I thought his plans were wrong. They were flawed. They were anti-democratic. Do not improve, uh, do not help political accountability one bot. And I think that's a major factor in why the public feels so disconnected with government. Anyway, I'm very hopeful, very confident. I really am very impressed with our new chief executive appointment. Uh, and I hope what I've tried to do in my proposition is to give her and to give the members that follow the the direction of what they now need to do with a timetable to try and improve this.
0: Okay, but uh, two quick questions, because we, we, we haven't got lots of time. But... Um, from what you've said there, we're going to need another government change, right? Because if the new chief executive is going to look at this and agree with you and say, you know, Deputy Young, you're absolutely right, what they're going to have to do is change the government structure again.
1: Well, they, I think they'll, well, they'll have to have a plan for how it, can, how it can be restructured. Now, that's not going to happen like a, what I call a big bang, there has to be a structured sensible plan of step by step but of course look that's real you know the real you have to the government has to respond to change political opinion and change priorities And that's what we need. It applies to both the structure of the civil service side that needs to make sure that elected members have that opportunity to bring their input and to have a very strong level of political oversight. It's not control, I don't think. It's oversight.
0: Are are you not amazed, though, that we're we're at this stage? I mean, I'll take you back to the example that you made of the the finance industry. So, so originally, the issue that we had with Jersey Finance and JFSC was that promoter and regulator uh, needed to be split, which is what happened. And we're a long way down the track from that being done. But it's still not being done in the planning department. For want of a better phrase, which governs these major developments.
1: Well, in the end, there may well have to be a separate, independent regulatory body. But in my view, that we, we need to make sure that such a body doesn't just function as regulation for its own sake. It's got to be able to respond to changes and needed from, for you know, for, for that affect development. For example, in the finance committee in the JFS, sorry, in JFC, and I've worked in the industry. I know what it's like. They do spend, you know, there's a lot of effort in communicating you know, with uh, with with, 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 the, with the industry and setting its policies. That's where the model that probably we're, we're going to have to end up going. Uh, maybe you might well argue, well, should I have brought a proposition and say, right, we'll do that now? Um, I mean, I could have not have done that. It's just not a cop out, but it's a fact. I'd have to have had a detailed report, with it all worked up in detail. You're one person, and the office, of course, has got other priorities, and we're in the middle, in the middle of COVID. No, I
0: understand OK, look, I, I mean, we need to finish relatively soon, but I, I do need to ask you about the hospital um, application because that's something which has emerged in recent weeks. The um, substantial uh, issues which some of your senior officers have with that application, and that's all obviously a now a matter of public record. So when they're um, uh, balancing the, the the harms and the benefits, I think that's the phrase that the principal planning officer Uh, or Senior Planning Officer Chris Jones used, that the harms outweigh the benefits. Now, I appreciate you're going to be the man that's going to have to make the decision, or one of the uh, decisions on this. Um, How is that going to develop now? We've got this major development, but the planning department officials themselves don't support it, and that's on the record. What happens? Well,
1: what happens is that's why, that's one of the, I think that's illustrative, of, of what the benefits of having an independent planning inspector, because our planning officers have given their best professional opinion and advice it is a advice as they say as they give every applicant all the time and i've insisted that they give that advice independently without my input without any political interference and i've been really firm right across the states that that should be the case and i uh, and uh, because i've seen in the past how individual planning officers have been subject to pressure if they say things that are not liked now, that hasn't happened. I've got confidence we, we, we've we got through that period because the inspector will judge the views of others, will views of the applicant, and he would have to make a recommendation. And by the way, it will not be a panel of members. Uh, I know that I've, there's that amendment to the law to, to, to allow that decision to be made by a panel of members. That will not receive royal assent in time, I don't believe. So uh, it's going to come down to you? I'm, I think it, it will,
0: yes. And can you do uh, anything other, though, than support the planning inspector's view on this development? Look, and not, I know you have done in the past. In 2019, I'm, I'm you not, had to reject
1: look, In the end, I have to make that judgment. Um, and I think to go further and speculate of what might be the options would we'll be going too far.
0: But are you going to do it in your final days in office, probably during the period? I will make
1: that judgment when I see uh, what the report has to say. Um, there are lots of factors that I will bear in mind there are, this is probably the most difficult decision that any elected member has to take now um, I, I am not going to make that judgment I, I, I want to see how the inquiry goes uh, I shan't be attending it but I shall be listening online and I will reading every word of the report I will read every word as much as I can of the submissions to it and I can see how the how the inspector puts the balance out uh, I have to say, though, it is disappointing that it looks as if advice uh, that, um, that was put forward uh, may not have been uh, taken on board. Uh, because the normal advice, if you do a private application and you go to the planning officers and they give you advice, then, well, you know very well, you follow their advice, you stand a very good chance of getting your approvals.
0: Okay. Deputy Young, thank you very much. Okay, thank you and you'll be able to keep up with all the main points on the island plan debate on Bailiwick Express we'll be listening to it all so you don't have to just check in with us and we'll tell you what you need to know then there's always the pod never forget the pods as well as the politics version there's always the traditional news flavour which will be out tomorrow and if hourly news bulletins are your thing then tune into Bailiwick Radio you can find us online and on DAB whichever platform suits you We'll be there. That's it for this week from me, James Filial, on the Politics Pod. See you next week.